morning, everyone. My name's Leanne, and today we're at the end, or sort of the end. Next week is question week, but today's the last topic of our Problem of God series. And I'm so happy Tom gave me a really easy one. Hypocrisy. I need Alison. I got told by my girls last time I was up here, stop telling jokes, don't try. So I really should not try. Um, I want you to all take a moment to either close your eyes or go back in your memory, however however the best way is to access memories, and think of a time where you have felt the need to call someone a hypocrite. Um, Maybe you didn't get the courage to actually call them a hypocrite, but in your mind you were shouting, you are a hypocrite. Think about what the situation was, who the person was, what the hypocrisy was that upset you so much. Just sit in that place for a minute. Then try now and think if there was ever a time that someone turned to you and said, you are a hypocrite. Or maybe you were feeling on the inside, wow, what I'm doing is so hypocritical right now. I could be or should be called a hypocrite. Um, A person who is a hypocrite is a person who indulges in hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to whom one's own behavior does not conform. So I'm guessing that any of those memories that you just had this morning were not pleasant ones. They weren't fun ones. They probably involved some hurt, some pain. And um, if you're like me and you've been part of a church or around Christians for a long time, I'm sure they involved a Christian or maybe something a Christian did that made you think, man, you're a hypocrite. Um, The book that we've been referring to through this series quotes some Barna research, and um, this is very in your face. The top three reasons that people reject Christianity and that Christianity, sorry, the top three reasons people reject Christianity is that Christianity was viewed as anti-homosexual, judgmental, and hypocritical. And if you kind of ask me, I think the top two roll into number three. And it goes on to say, modern people contend that the greatest proof God does not exist is the behavior of Christians themselves. Combine this with the atrocities throughout the history of the Christian church, and these realities and perceptions are enough to keep people from believing in Jesus. People have a greater problem with the hypocrisy of God's people than they do with the fact that God's a hypocritical God. So as we step into this topic, I just want to admit that I think that most, if not all, of these charges against Christianity are true. The church has been responsible for pain, for conflict, for death, We have hurt people, and we've done it terribly in the name of Jesus. And uh, this quote that I'm going to put up, it's a little long, um, is it's a hard comment on um, American Christianity, so hang in with me. Um, American Christianity became a noisy gong when it gained political, social, cultural, and economic power at the expense of vilifying LGBTQ individuals, oppressing people of colour, deporting immigrants, denying refugees, abusing children, and assaulting women. We have sinned far beyond our comprehension in ways we cannot begin to fathom. So we most humbly have to listen to those whom Christendom has devastated, both Christians and non-Christians alike. 
The American church must validate their pain and accept our horrific failures. Religiosity, theology, nationalism, and patriotism have been used to cloak our atrocities, and the truth-tellers and prophets were silenced or ignored. We must always look to Jesus as the example of perfect love. This is the dichotomy Christians face today, reckoning the reality of Christ with the reality of a broken religion that's been co-opted by political agendas, selfish ambition, and lust for carnal power. Jesus confronted the religious establishment of his day by lamenting, These people, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, before you say, I'm just going to get some water. Before you say that this is the Australian um, commenting on American Christianity, <laughs> let me tell you a story about Australian Christianity. So from 1910, and this is history that we learn at school, and you guys might not have heard of it, you may, you may have. From 1910 to 1970, the Australian government and the Australian church, and yes, I said 1970, like some of us can remember 1970, right? Not me, 71, 71, but 70. Um, <laughs> um, the Australian government and the church in Australia were the perpetrators of what we call in Australia, and it's Australian history, like I said, it's taught in school, the stolen generations. Between 1910 and 1970, we removed um, mixed-race children from their families. And I'm talking like driving into a town at night, rounding up children, driving them out of town and putting them into Australian missions, church missions, homes, Christian homes, um, as in families that would adopt them, and um, into orphanages, anywhere that we thought was better than them being with their families. Um, it was believed that the Australian indigenous population would die out um, within two generations, so it would be much better for these children to be taken and raised in a white place, in a Christian place, um, and it started with uh, mixed-race children and then it moved on to just taking any indigenous children that we thought would be better in. And I say we because I am white. I am white Christian Australian and I am part of the church. And if uh, the, the adoption of the stance of saying it was them or someone else, I just, I can't see because the only way that the healing has happened in Australia is by white Christians standing up and saying this was wrong and we are sorry. And in 2008, the Prime Minister of Australia actually declared a national apology um, on behalf of the government, on behalf of the people um, that had come before. And there's one line out of there that um, just, it struck me when I reread it this week, and it said, we, the Parliament of Australia, respectfully request that this apology be received in the spirit in which it is offered as part of healing of the nation. And today, Jesus' whole message is about repenting and saying sorry and moving on and moving on in life with him. And I know it's a really tricky thing to apologize on behalf of people that I didn't meet and I didn't um, know their motivations, but I'm sure that there's people here that have been hurt by the church and that have been hurt by people in the church and you guys have experienced pain and suffering and deceit and all those things. And as I was preparing and working with this material, I just feel like 
they really wanted to stand here and say, I'm sorry, like I'm really sorry, just like our Prime Minister stood and said that in 2008. It won't change what happened, but I hope that it removes maybe some obstacles to you knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and loving the church and loving the people in the church just to acknowledge that there is pain and suffering that has come in the name of Jesus and I'm really sorry for that and I hope that as part of this community we can work through some of that stuff with you guys if there is things that um, are holding you back from knowing and loving Jesus because he loves you wholly and fully and he does not and never will condone hypocrisy and he will never condone the things that were done in the name of hypocrisy. So I just wanted to say that and, and move on from that point. Um, there's two simple reasons why there's hypocrites in the church. Um, and I don't know if that's going to move on, Virginia, from me. You oh, no, you did. Good. Um, there's people who aren't actually Christians that are in the church. And the church is a place for sinners, not perfect people. There was a poll taken um, that showed statistically that the lifestyle activities of people identifying as Christians are pretty much the same as non-Christians. So they asked a bunch of people and they asked about gambling, visiting pornographic websites, taking something that doesn't belong to them, saying mean things behind people's back, consulting a medium, having a physical fight or abusing someone, using illegal or non-prescription drugs, saying something that isn't true, getting back at someone for something that they did, consuming enough alcohol to be drunk. And guess what? Christians and non-Christians that answered that survey, there was no difference in their results on any of those behaviours. Here's one where Christians did a little less of. I kid you not. Recycling. Sinners, right? <laughs> We're not saving the earth, people. <laughs> But um, churches are filled with people who've adopted a cultural Christianity and they may not know Jesus, they may not walk with Jesus, they may not um, love him at all, but they look like Christians and they sound like Christians, but they have misrepresented Christianity to the world. So when people look at the church and say, Christians are hypocritical, they're looking at a mixed bunch and we can admit to that. Also, we know we're all sinners, we're all working through our brokenness, we're all on a journey, and if we are the milestone by which to judge Christianity, it is going to be problematic. You know, Jesus asks us to repent and be more like him, but that takes time, it's messy, it's an ongoing process, and it definitely looks hypocritical from the outside. And as we say from the inside, it's a work in progress. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm the biggest sinner of them all. So I, I look at this and I say, oh, my whole desire is to, to not be that person that when they look in from the outside, that they're looking at a, a person who just can't quite get it together. But you know what? Jesus' grace is so amazing and his love is so amazing. And it takes us um, to places and, and journeys that we, we never knew. And so our big idea today, and this is, I'll move on to this because this is, um, you might have to slide it on, is, oh, we've jumped one. Is there a big idea of a yellow one with yellow printing? Yes, here it is. Hypocrisy ends when, insert your name here, dies to self and chooses to become more like Jesus every day. So, hypocrisy ends when Leanne dies to self and chooses to become more like Jesus every day. In your mind, try it with, insert your name here. 
Yeah, it's big, right? We cannot undo the past. We cannot check everyone's Christianity status at the door. We can't demand perfection of others. We can't go on blaming and judging others as the only cause of hypocrisy. As the only cause of hypocrisy. But here's what we can say. We can say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we can take very seriously when Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Hypocrisy ends when Leanne dies to self and chooses to become more like Jesus every day. I'm going to take you for the next 10 minutes before we finish through my journey this last month of where God took me looking at those two verses. So hang in with me. This is going to be a little different to usual, but it starts with my memory. Oh, before I get there, do you know there's a hundred Bible verses about dying to self? Have you ever read the hundred verses about dying to self? There is a link on the hub. I put a link up there. This is what I've been in for the last month. There, read through the 100 Bible verses on dying to self. I think it's an important topic when there's 100 verses on it. So go and check it out um, because it, it's amazing. It, and they're, they're Jesus, Jesus said most of them, so that gives you an indication of how important it is. So here is uh, my story when I asked you to think about... Uh, hypocrisy memory and it starts with that photo do you have the photo there um virginia these are my three beautiful girls thank you ian for the photo on easter sunday um it was a normal day in our house i was probably yelling um there was chaos going in the kitchen um and i was probably yelling and i have two teenagers who turned around and said to me you are a hypocrite Um, you know what I did? No, I'm not. No. <laughs> um, but you know what? They're right. Here's the truth. I'm often unkind, impatient, unloving, angry. I do keep record of wrongs. I am selfish. Sometimes I forget to trust them. I lose control. I don't want to persevere and I lose hope. And I definitely don't say sorry nearly enough. My family sees the best in me. They see the worst in me. They have every right to say I'm a hypocrite. Um, they also know that I'm on a messy journey with Jesus. Hopefully they see some victories and hopefully they see my heart of how I love Jesus. But this was my starting point when I got given this topic was like, ah, that was my memory, you know. My girls looked at it. But you know what? These three girls are my reason to say hypocrisy ends with Leanne. I need to die to self and love Jesus, be more like Jesus. These are my reason. These are my motivation. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to walk with Jesus. And I've been given the job of pointing them to Jesus. And they live with me 24 hours a day. <laughs> and that is my challenge. I have to get out of the way. I have to die to self. I have to put Jesus in his rightful place so they can see Jesus um, every single day. So as I was working with this material and thinking about these girls and thinking about you guys and thinking about people that look at us as a community and say, ah, eh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm like, what can we do 
to change that message or what do we need to be doing? And there's two things. I came up with two things. That's it. Be in the Word and listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, I was trying to think, what am I going to tell you about these two things? So here it is. You're going to get it in, in pictures and everything about where God took me with this. Since I have taken on the title of Outreach um, Director, I've been spending a lot of time in the Word of what does God say about being with the poor and spending time um, as a church with the poor, supporting the poor, loving the poor, reaching out to the poor for, for Jesus. So I've been doing a lot of that reading. Then I've been reading the 100 verses on dying to self. So these are my sort of world, scriptural world right now um, and the things that I'm learning. And I know that, you know, the word purifies us. It purges things from us. It shows us, you know, how to live, what attitudes to hold, how to live together as a people, with people who think like us, with people who don't think like us, all the things we've talked about for the last two months, how to love God, how to love our family, how to make decisions, how to serve, who to hang out with, how to go to work, how to rest. So, you know, there's a lot in there. And you think, I can read this really quickly some days and it, it means nothing. And other days, it's like God is turned on a spotlight on certain things. So here's my spotlights that got turned on in the last month. So the next slide, do you have the first picture of my Instagram feed? Okay, isn't that pretty? So I love mid-century modern furniture. I love white houses. I love clean houses. I love um, plants. And sometimes my house, actually my house never looks like this because it's not clean, it doesn't have, <laughs> white, it's not white. But the next, you can go on to the next slide. Um, I love that photo. I think that's really pretty. Um, next photo. <laughs> oh, see? I'm pretty convinced that the only reason they've got lovely plants is because of those really cool pots that they're in. So can you tell, like, when I close my Bible, like, where my brain goes? I'll show you where it goes on my Google searches. Next one. Isn't that a pretty white couch? Like, seriously. It fits in those pictures of the house that I don't have, right? And it's only 899, oh, look at the planters. Aren't they pretty? Go back to the couch. It's only $899, only. And guess what? That's a good deal because it says down the bottom there that you save $1,301 if you buy it because it's really $2,200. It's a no-brainer, right? <laughs> you know how we have four couches in our house, but that's a pretty couch. Okay, so that's like that when I close my Bible about reading about the poor and dying to self. And I'm telling you, that couch, that, that Google search didn't happen because I was doing this sermon. Like, I was searching. I got the tape measure out. I've measured my floor. That couch will fit in my couch. That's how much time I have spent thinking about that white couch. Okay, so then I start on this topic of hypocrisy and, and reading, um, you know, what it says about the poor. And it says, you know, if you throw a party, invite the poor in. It says, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. Yeah, buying a possession, but no, I'm going to sell my possessions and I'm giving them to the poor if I follow the scriptures that I'm reading. Like, this is what's happening in my world as I'm looking at this topic. Then across my Facebook page comes this quote, not from a, a Christian friend. Can, is there a, like a green background? Yeah, keep, yeah, this one. You won't, you might not be able to read it, but... The point was, this is my actual screenshot from, from when it came. And it says, wanting positive experience is a negative experience. Accepting negative experience is a positive experience. 
It's what the philosopher Alan Watts used to refer to as the backwards law. The idea that the more you pursue feeling better all the time, the less satisfied you become, as pursuing something only reinforces the fact that you lack it in the first place. The more you desperately want to be rich, the more poor and unworthy you feel, regardless of how much money you actually make. The more you desperately want to be sexy and desired, the uglier you come to see yourself, regardless of your actual physical appearance. The more you desperately want to be happy and loved, the lonelier and more afraid you become, regardless of those who surround you. The more you want to be spiritually enlightened, the more self-centered and shallow you become in trying to get there. I'm like, wow, God, thanks. <laughs> Timely Facebook message. Like that just hit on everything that had started to happen in my life as I'm looking at um, these verses and I'm realizing the reality of where my heart is. And the next um, slide is a picture of a documentary that I happened to watch one night right in the middle of this about the people who make my clothes that I can go to Coles and buy really cheap. This is where they live. And then at the same time, I'm preparing to go and serve on Friday at Hall Neighbourhood House, next slide, Virginia, with the kids who as fourth graders are going to learn about how to not give in to gangs and have a gun at 12 because that's the average age um, that the Bridgeport kids are being faced with that decision. And I'm, my brain is worrying about a white couch. Like, can you see where this is going? Can you see the struggles? This is, but you know what the second point was? The second point was, listen to the Holy Spirit. And I came across this article um, written by Sarah Bessie, and it was um, not anything to do with white couches or the poor. It was about her journey with the Holy Spirit and giving up drinking. And I've put links to all these articles and that on the hub if you're interested in reading because um, yeah, I'll get to at the end why. But yeah, if you want to read any of these. But here is a quote from her article that made all these worlds come together. And it, and it came across again, just as I'm in the middle of this. It says, I have learned that when you are walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is always up to something. And when it comes to conviction, I've found that the spirit to be, to be gentle but relentless. Change and transformation is an ongoing process. I'm always grateful how the spirit isn't harsh or overwhelming, but rather how at the right time and in the right moment, we know it's time to change. Next slide, Cece. Conviction is less about condemnation than it is about invitation. It's an invitation into freedom. It's an invitation into wholeness. In my life, when it comes to the dawning of change, it can feel as if God presses a thumb down on something in my life, as if to say, here is the spot, this one. Let's stay here for a while. I want to lean on this. Keep going, Virginia, next one. Oh, oh, sorry, that's it, you got it. The pressing of God's thumb has felt like the hand of a massage therapist in, to someone with knots in their back. Here is the knot, the pressure point the source of pain and the pressing perhaps feels more like pain until suddenly it feels like release and exhale and movement. And that was like the perfect culmination for me of where I was. I was like, unfollow that Instagram feed because it was seriously coming into my Instagram three times a day, four times a day, and I knew what it was doing to me. Unfollow that. Lay down um, the thoughts of a couch. I don't need a couch. Think about what is God asking? What is 
my pursuit of this thing doing to my family. Um, the girls know how much time I talk about stuff in my house and how much time I'm looking at things on the internet and put myself in the place where the release and the exhale comes and the movement comes. And this is my accountability moment for you all. I want to be, as someone who's heading up outreach here, real about my time I spend with the poor, real about what I do with my money, where my heart is. I don't want it to be something where I'm telling you one thing and I'm doing another thing. And um, you need to hold me accountable on that. God said, get your butt down there to the mission or to the whole neighborhood house more regularly than Super Surf Sunday. Like this is the things that God was, the, as he's massaging this point in my back, this knot. And I'm telling you, at the moment when I finally said to God, I get it, okay, and, and started to think of this in terms of moving more towards him and moving to become more like him, it really does feel like freedom. And it really does feel like release and, and exhale. And then to kind of bring it all to one point, just randomly one morning, Tom sends me a quote that um, he had read. And it said, compassion is not a bending toward the underprivileged from a privileged position. It is not a reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate below. It is not a gesture of sympathy or pity for those who fail to make it in the upward pull. On the contrary, compassion means going directly to those people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. And he said, does this sum out how you've been feeling about the poor? <sighs> so that was my exhale moment because there's no white couch in that home. There's no need for a white couch in that home. That, it's not what Jesus is asking of me. He's asking of me to take his heart. Joe and I spent yesterday, no, Friday down at the rally and t more than once we looked at each other and said, we just can't wait for the day where we can do something like this and say, you guys need to know about Jesus and the love Jesus has because they spend a lot of time during the day saying, if you believe in yourself, um, you can get out of here. You know, it's pretty much what they were saying, right? And trying to encourage the kids to, to do the right thing and be the leaders. But man, I, I want to be there when I can say, you know, I know Jesus, let me introduce you to him. And I want to make sure that when they know me and look at me, my life matches um, what it is that I'm saying. So um, the band can come up. Oh, one little moment. I left it out in my bag. A side note to this. My husband doesn't come to church, but um, we were having a conversation in the middle of all this about how he sometimes feels the pressure that, you know, he has to keep earning more money. And I was like, no, we're fine. We do really good with what we've good. And I was standing holding. I wish I could run out to my bag and get it. I, I was holding the envelope of the free fabric samples for the couch. <laughs> like literally holding, and I've got them there to prove it. And I'm like, I said to Tom when I was talking to him about this, I was like, what love does that show him? What am I saying to him? And I'm like, no, we're fine. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, this is, this is where uh, I think the Western society that we live in, um, the culture of me first just creeps in in so many ways that we don't even realize until God slaps you in the face and sends the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, that wasn't a very loving thing for me to do, but now I'm getting it together. <laughs> I'm so, the Holy Spirit is shining some lights on some of these things. So, yeah, we want, we want people to come to know Jesus. Um, this series has proven to you that they come with many arguments, right? They come with many 
thoughts that come with many reasons not to believe in Christianity. And um, we know Jesus is the only person that can save these people. But he's given us the job of pointing us, pointing anyone that comes near us to Jesus. And um, it might not be a white sofa for you, but I guarantee it's something. It's, there's a behavior, an attitude, a belief, um, a relationship, a comfort. There is something in your life that the Holy Spirit is dying to shine a light on. And I hope that as you spend time um, in those hundred verses and in just in general in the Word, that you will be open to the Holy Spirit gently, relentlessly, like shining a light on uh, on those things. Because as we die to those things, as we die to self, more room for Jesus to shine and to be um, the person that he is through us. Um, and people can come to know him, which is really the, our ultimate goal as a church. Think about where we started, about hurt and pain by the church. You know, let's it's the flipping that on the head to the love and um, the grace and the acceptance. Um, I have one quote to finish with. I don't know, maybe because this girl's Australian, um, I just have to include it. She's a girl that was an atheist, has come to know Jesus. And this just, I felt like, summed up. Um, have you got that there, Virginia, that starts with this sacrificial love? This sacrificial love is utterly opposed, meaning the love of Jesus. It's utterly opposed to the individualism, consumerism, exploitation, and objectification of our culture. I learned that Jesus' resurrection initiated the kingdom of God, which will bring good news to the poor, release the captives, restore sight to the blind, free the opposed. To live as a Christian is a call to be part of this new radical creation. I am not passively awaiting a place in the clouds. I am redeemed by Christ, so now I have work to do. John 3.30 says, He must become greater, I must become less. Mm-hmm.